Here y'all come on in, take your shoes off, sit on down. Y'all listening to In the Corner, back by the woodpile. Fun counter guy, thanks for stopping by. On this episode of In the Corner Back by the Woodpile, we're back up in Indianapolis hanging out with all the record collectors at the International Association of Jazz Record Collectors, Record Bash. And on this episode, to tell us about his journey between headphones and inside thrift shops is Sonny McGowan. So I'll start it like we always start. How did you get into jazz and particularly record collecting? It was pretty simple. It's through my father, Mac McGowan, and my uncle, Don McGowan. My father collected records, and uh, he actually sold records in a store when he got out of the Navy before he got into his other profession, which was electronics. He worked in a shop that uh, sold records, Mm. and he also, prior to that, he worked for an outfit in Washington, D.C., a very famous department store called the Heck Company, and he boxed records there. In the mid-50s, 1950s, My Uncle Don moved in with us for a while, and he was into the music as well and buying a lot of records, and he had good stereo equipment. Bottom line was we had music all over the house, so I was exposed to it. Oddly enough, my brother and sister were exposed to it too, but they had no choir (laughs) lit under them like the music did to me. It just struck me. It took me, and I just found myself immersed in it and more and more enjoyment, and then started to learn about it, and then started collecting myself at uh, age 12, and here I am, what, 58 years later. So you still have these records you had when you were 12? No, I don't. I wish I did. I had a 45 RPM record player, turntable, and you'd stack the 45s on. It played only 45s. And so my uncle and my dad, they used to give me 45s as gifts, and so I used to have a nice size collection of 45s, and my uncle often would take me down on Saturday mornings when he would go uh, into Clarendon. We lived in Arlington, Clarendon, Virginia, and he'd take me to the record store, and I'd pick out one record mm-hmm. from this wall of 45 singles that they had. It was a shop called Swiller's. All that music, uh, I don't think I have any. Yeah, I do. I have one record left <laughs> mm-hmm. that uh, strikes me. Uh, because it's not been reissued anywhere else. It's uh, by Pete Fountain on a Brunswick 45, the Tailgate Blues. Were you into the jazz of your time that was coming out when you were a kid? Uh, yeah, but you got to draw a line here because this was 1955 and I was eight years old and I was into the classic jazz that was still being performed there in the 50s. A lot of those performers, Louis Armstrong, Eddie Condon, Benny Goodman, Jack Teagarden, you know, my favorite folks, were still very active and making new records. So I was buying those records as they came out as opposed to the modern jazz that was going on that I just never became attuned to. I kind of wish I had because some of those modern jazz records, uh, Blue Note and Prestige, are <laughs> really big collector's items right. these days. To go from 45 to 78, 
When did you make that transition? Well, the idea was to get the music no matter what form it was in. So my father had already had a sizable collection of 78s, and I basically inherited those. He gave me a free license to, to play the records anytime. We had the equipment there in the house, so there was never any impediment to doing that, and I, I took uh, full advantage of that. In fact, uh, one of the things that I regret and <laughs> finally resolved is that one of my father's favorite records, which was a Teddy Wilson Brunswick called Why Do I Lie to Myself About You? I broke that record, been looking for it ever since all these years, and I finally found it here uh-huh. for a dollar. And the reason it's been difficult for me to get is because the flip side has Billie Holiday on it with Teddy Wilson, and those records are very collectible and very they command high prices on eBay and hard to find. But I, I lucked into a, a copy here. But you think your dad's forgiven you? Well, I don't know. He's <laughs> he's upstairs now, right. right? Uh, with the other record collectors and jazz musicians, right. but uh, as of 1997. But uh, so you just found it recently? Just uh, Thursday evening here. Wow, well, what would that have been like? 40 years after the fact, 50 years? Well, 50. I guess it was probably the late 50s when I broke it. So 40 <laughs> plus 16, 56. Well, I'm Went glad on. we got this resolved because if you had told that story with it not being resolved, we've all been feeling sorry for you. hard to say, but in your collection, what are some, in your mind, treasures or the ones that you just, man, makes it all worth it? Well, you're right, it is hard because uh, just because something is rare doesn't mean that it's necessarily good. If I was to come down in your basement, you have a basement? Yes, I do. That's my music room. Okay, if I was to come down in your basement and it wasn't there to be killed, what would you play for me first of all i'd ask you what you <laughs> might like to hear but, oh, man, you're, what but my <laughs> but my um, well my, i can tell you my favorite artists are mm-hmm. benny goodman and jack teagarden mm-hmm. and louis armstrong and eddie condon and all of his mm-hmm. associates benny goodman has always been my favorite and that's a rub off from my father mm-hmm. that was his favorite and he collected uh, benny goodman records and so i have a this will lead to a Uh, an interesting story if you want to hear about Benny Goodman and Benny Goodman recording. Well, we had all of the, uh, well, at that time, most of the Benny Goodman original Victors, which was our favorite band, 1935 to middle of 1939, that he recorded for Victor. So we had all those records, and so we're trying to amass a complete collection. Well, there's one record called Popcorn Man that Benny Goodman recorded. Uh, I think it was a Martha Tilton vocal on it. Uh, it's Victor 25808. Here he comes, popcorn man. Pop them like no one can. Got five pens in your hand. Give it to that popcorn man. And that record is extremely rare because somebody found the lyrics to be objectionable. Now, hmm. other people had recorded that too, Jimmy Dorsey, and uh, I think, uh, I may be wrong, my memory sometimes lapses, Larry Clinton or somebody like that, but there are other recordings, but the Benny Goodman recording was withdrawn, apparently the, around the first day it was released. 
So, you know, at, at the time they were saying, hey, six to ten copies exist. So you're figuring, yeah, I'm never going to see this record, I'm never going to get this record. But had you heard it, heard this song? Oh, well, I had heard it because RCA finally put it out on a Camden, which was a budget label LP mm-hmm. series that they had that came out probably in the late 50s or early 60s. And uh, wow, you, you saw that, it says Popcorn Man on it, you finally got it. But you know, if you got all the original 78s, you really would like to have that 78. Right. Well, there's an annual event that I've attended since 1980 in New Jersey. It used to be called the Ken Crawford Collectors Bash. And Ken was one of the premier collectors in the world, and especially Benny Goodman. He's one of the founders of the International Association of Jazz Collectors. And like so many of those folks, unfortunately, they're gone now. But So at one of his bashes in New Jersey, and I'd say this is probably about uh, 1988 or so, I'm thumbing through records. And what pops up, pardon the, <laughs> the pun there, is Popcorn Man. Oh. And I'm looking at it in total disbelief. Well, the problem is, at that time for me, is I was selling my 78s because so much music that I wanted was coming out on LPs over in Europe, and they were expensive to buy. So I was selling my 78s, and as a result, not buying many 78s. So I saw this one, and uh, you know, these are astute people that are <laughs> there. And so I saw it, and I said, you know, I'm not even going to ask because I'm not going to be able to afford it, whatever it is. So I had a, a, a buddy of mine, his last name escapes me, his first name is uh, uh, Charlie. And uh, he was looking next to me. I showed it to him, and said, oh, really? <laughs> he says, you don't want it? And I said, I don't think I want to do this. I don't want to go there. I don't want to spend that much money since I'm not collecting 78s anymore. So I handed off to Charlie. I said, Charlie, it's yours. Charlie had two other records there, a Johnny Dodds on Brunswick, which is a very collectible item, and a, um, I think a Cab Calloway OK, which was somewhat common uh, from 1940. So Charlie takes the record, and he asked the fella, and I won't name the fellow's name. He was a wonderful guy, and he was a, a blues collector, and he had a lot of rare blues records. And so Charlie says, how much do you want for that? And he looks at him, he says, Johnny Dodds, and says, eh, 10 bucks for that one. And then he says, uh, Cab Calloway, yeah, give me two bucks, and give me, uh, he looks to many Goodman Victor, yeah, two bucks. <laughs> so oh, man. my jaw dropped. I, you know, <laughs> I, I was shame on me. I, I was stupid for not asking. Yeah. And uh, for two bucks, I could have had that. And then a few years later, um, the collector that sold it, he was informed of it by Charlie. Charlie actually had a T-shirt made up and said, "I found Benny Goodman's Popcorn Man at Crawford's Bash for <laughs> whatever it worked out to be." That's what his 14, shirt said. Fourteen dollars divided by three. Yep. <laughs> And so we informed the collector, and he says, hey man, that's fine with me, I don't care. I, I collect blues records, mm-hmm. shame on me for not knowing, and, uh, oh, and cool. shame yeah. on me for yeah. not completing my Benny Goodman collection. Like how much should it have been, r- roughly? If you well, that record at the time was going for over a thousand bucks, and it would probably go for the, more than that today mm-hmm. on eBay, if you could find it. Good for boys and good for men, make gold
like I said, Benny Goodman and Jack Teagard are my favorites. Well, there are many, but the ones in particular that I like are the ones that actually have Benny Goodman on them, the two of them together. I think that they were one of those rare combinations of musicians that whenever they played together or recorded together, the end product was amazing. Uh, it's just like Louis Armstrong and, and uh, Earl Hines, the things they did together. I mean, they, they changed music. In particular, the, the Benny Goodman, actually the recording session wasn't under their name. It was in 1933, I believe. It was under the name of Eddie Lang and Joe Venuti, guitarist Lang and violinist Venuti, two legends in jazz in their own right. Uh, it was called the Lang Venuti All-Stars, and it had Benny Goodman and Jack Teagarden, and they, they made four titles in that session. And my favorite from that is After You've Gone, which is one that starts out with a Benny Goodman clarinet solo. It starts out at a, um, a slow tempo, mm -hmm. and then after Benny Goodman plays a, a chorus, and Jack Teagarden sings a vocal, then the band ups the tempo and just wails away. And yeah. it's just one of those records that you hear it and you say, wow, did they really do that. After you go, after you go away. I've never had a lot of luck uh, with 78s. There are guys who just fall into them. And I really only had that happen one time in my life, and that was back when I was living in, in Virginia, and I was downtown Washington, D.C. on, I think, 7th Street between H and M or something like that. But that, was, that area was known for its bookstores. It had lots of used bookstores. And I came out of one and was walking uh, towards the bus stop, because I took buses in those days, and uh, I saw a thrift shop. It was a, a church thrift shop. So I walked in there. There were three records in the place. That was it, three records. And uh, I went over and, and I looked at them, and the very first one was a Paramount, you know, one of the <laughs> most collectible labels. And it was a brown wax Paramount with uh, Fletcher Henderson with a vocal by Alberta Hunter. And I think uh, it was some, the tune title, my memory uh, is not helping me here, but I think it's something like, you shall reap what you sow. So I held that and I said, oh my gosh, you know. And then I, the next record is an Oriole record. Those were sold in the dime stores by McCrory's, which was a, a five and ten store. And it was um, the Rent Party Blues by the Ten Blackberries. Well, that happened to be Duke Ellington, and it was the feature of Johnny Hodges, just a wonderful record. And the third record was a Cab Calloway on Banner, I think it was, uh, I'm now prepared to tell the word about you. Who's the one I'm glad to see? She never keeps me feeling blue. I'm prepared to tell me, well, it's you, it's you, it's you. Those records would bring really nice money today if you were to sell them. So I took them over, you know, you never know what to expect, what the right. guy behind the counter is going to say, just uh -huh. like I told you earlier. <laughs> so I asked him, he didn't even look at the records, he just says, 
make your donation, brother. So I had two bucks in my pocket. <laughs> I gave him two bucks. He was thrilled. And imagine how I felt walking out that door, <laughs> hoping to get out of there before anybody said anything. That was my neatest find. <laughs> Who are some jazz artists that you like to champion that maybe people don't know? I think it's easier for me to talk about today because I live in uh, what they call Chicago land, somewhere within 60 mile radius of Chicago. And we're very fortunate to have one of the best bands I ever heard, and certainly one of the best bands in the country, and undoubtedly, or by extension, in, in the world, a group called the Fat Babies. <laughs> trombone and the marvelous Andy Shum on cornet, who's a disciple uh, of Big Spiderbeck. But those fellows, you've seen them here this weekend. They're an avid record collectors, and they have been for years. And those guys, they know the records, they know the music, they know how it sounds, they're professional, well-trained musicians. And when you put all that together, those guys play the music like I've never heard it recreated before. guy I like that I really like is a trumpet uh, man out of Toledo, uh, although I think he might make his home in New Orleans. His name is Duke Heitker, H-E-I-T-G-E-R. who just, to me, is right out of my favorite period, which is in the, the mid-30s. If you could go back in time and transport Duke with you, he would fit right in in Chicago with, say, like Roy Eldridge, uh, just uh, the, one of the greatest swing trumpet players then, or on 52nd Street, Bunny Berrigan. Okay, you know, obviously, he's not either one of them, but he has that sense, that feeling, that timing approach that only comes naturally. And, and that's why it's so rare. I just, I get the willies when I hear the guy play. It's just amazing. I was a good friend with a gentleman by the name of Bill Savory. And I met Bill in 1968 through one of my other buddy, music buddies, who was Steve Jordan, a wonderful guitarist, who was the guitarist in the house band at Blues Alley, 1965 to about 1974, I think it was. Steve introduced me to Bill. Well, I knew who Bill was because he was one of the co-inventors of the LP. He was commissioned by Columbia Records to transfer the original tapes from the Carnegie Hall concert recorded by a gentleman by the name of Albert Marks, who was the first husband of Benny Goodman's vocalist, first vocalist, uh, renowned vocalist, Helen Ward. Well, as it turns out, Bill married Helen, 
I went to uh, Wolf Trap, the outdoor theater in Fairfax, Virginia, to see Benny Goodman along with them. This is 1975, I believe. 75 or 76. I'm almost certain it's 75, but we'll say 76 to be safe. Afterwards, they took me backstage to meet Benny. Well, I had a, a piece of sheet music, one of Benny Goodman's most famous recordings, Don't Be That Way with Benny Goodman pictured kneeling down, playing the clarinet, pointing the clarinet up in the air, and a dinner jacket and all. It's so, like, you know, wow, I'm gonna get this autograph by Benny Goodman. And I, Bill introduced me as Benny as a devotee, and I shook hands and, and I asked him for his autograph. So Benny took the sheet music, and I gave him a pen, and he turns the sheet music upside down and signs it upside down. So <laughs> it's framed on my wall, right side up, but his autograph is upside down. He was known to be quite an eccentric. Okay. Little details like that uh, just escaped him. <laughs> so it seems. Alley was a wonderful club run by clarinetist and vibraphonist Tommy Gwaltney, and Tommy uh, would bring through, you know, some of the best artists from the classic jazz world that were still alive and playing. And through Steve Jordan, uh, I met uh, Bobby Hackett, I met Yank Lawson, Wild Bill Davison, Sammy Price, Clancy Hayes, um, Peanuts Hucko. There was just a whole array of people that I was able to come in and converse with and talk. My regret, though, is that I hadn't paid a little more attention. You know, I was enthralled with meeting these people, and sometimes when you're in a situation like that, your mind doesn't flow, and I should have asked a lot more questions, because there's a lot of history that I could have been able to recount for them, as well as educate myself, and uh, I've always regretted that. I just uh, was just too dumb. Right. Well, a Star Shark movie, yeah. Yes, like yeah. that. Good term. Thank you. Yeah. I was sitting there thinking last night, we're at the IAJRC's record bash when people are sitting there playing their favorite records and there's all these conversations going on and sometimes it's hard to yeah. to zero in on one conversation. Everybody's walking encyclopedias and they all have their speciality and in, in all your years of this pursuit who are some of the characters that that you've met uh, i mean there's a whole cast of characters and i had mentioned ken crawford uh who used to put on the new jersey bash besides being you know one of the premier collectors in the world the guy had a great sense of humor somewhat dry at, the, at times and he had a marvelous film collection and at these bashes we'd have a night of uh, several hours of films as long as you could stay up and watch them and uh, in those days many of the folks imbibed <laughs> sometimes a little bit too much especially late in the evening they'd get going and have discussions in the middle of the movies back and forth back and forth and i can't recall the exact conversations all i can tell you is they just had us howling and and ken was always that way he had a uh, an incredible sense of humor and Gentlemen, you met Phil Pospahala. There's a real character for you. Yeah. Carrying on the torch for Big Spider back in the Bix Fest. He's getting on in years. He's 80, and, I think. And, yeah, 
I wasn't going to say that, but oh. <laughs> <laughs> octogenarian. And uh, the guy's in incredible shape. He keeps active. He's one of those guys, he'll keep talking and talking and talking until you stop him. But you don't want to stop him because he has so many interesting things to say. It's amazing. I've, you rarely meet people like that. Uh, you meet people all the time who won't stop talking, but people that really know what they're talking <laughs> That's what about say. Is, yeah. is, is a That's, different matter. Yeah. <laughs> I might mention our good buddy, Andy Jazzman Smith. Uh, I first met Andy uh, at one of the IAJRC conventions many years ago. and Our, our tastes were along the same line of traditional and classic jazz. And at this particular convention, I was one of the, the vendors. He started looking through my record and says, where'd you get all this stuff? Is this for real? <laughs> he says, you, you got the best stuff here. And from that day on, I, I struck up a, a, a real good friendship with Andy. We went out and eat and talked about his, his history and you know the hundreds of thousands of pieces of music he has between sheet music and books and, and records and tapes. And, and then we, we got to talking on a regular basis and I learned a lot from him, not only about music, but about life. Sure. One of the things that I find interesting, let's just say it that way, is this music is alive and well. Actually, the internet has, has helped it. I have a good friend, David Robinson, who's a, a jazz educator. He's devoted, oh, I don't know, 30, 30 plus years to educating young people on traditional and classic jazz. And what I f find interesting is the fact that when these kids, adolescents, teenagers, young adults, hear the music, they say, wow. Not all of them, of course, but a good many of them, wow, that's good. Or, yeah, what is that? I like that. And the problem all these years has been exposure because they're not exposed to it on TV and radio. When I grew up, it was on TV and radio all the time. Steve Allen's show, for example, uh, even the Ed Sullivan show. These days, Lawrence Welk had Pete Fountain and, and Bob Havens. Like we say, with the, the internet and the, 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 uh, the, the digital media today, People have access to things that uh, they wouldn't have had access ordinarily, and it just takes a little re re uh, bit of research or some luck, you know, and happen upon a, a Louis Armstrong recording or a Fats Waller recording. Look at the fellow who put on this event this year, who's carrying the torch, Jackson Garrison. I don't know how old he is. 22. But he's okay. Yeah. He's, he's a youngster, and he is well versed in this music already, and he was captured by it. And I notice, you know, younger collectors in the audience. I, I've noticed that uh, over the last uh, few years, which is a good sign. And speaking of Phil and Jazzman, you can hear both of these gentlemen on episodes 156, respectively. And if you'd like to hang out with Phil, Jazzman, and Sonny, you might check out iajrc.org and see about joining up so you can come to their get-togethers. The In the Corner Back by the Wood Pile podcast is produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram using the name spuncounterguy. Be sure to download the new Podbean app to hear this podcast and others on your tablet and smartphone. And we are now on iTunes. Just do a search for Back by the Wood Pile on the iTunes store, and we should pop up. 
and a special thanks to thebrofisticate.com. Thank you.